a day of success. God wants you to be not just faithful. He wants you to be famous. You're the object of his delight. And this morning he has begun working on you. Uh, Ron and Becky are back from vacation. You did get some. Ron got tan and you got red. So you did, you did good. Aaron, Aaron is back in the building. Aaron been in Hartford. And uh, always a joy to have my best friend, Al Mango, with us this morning. Just a joy to have him hang out. And uh, a lot of things have been trans, uh, transitioning uh, in the Cantrell life. And so in this transition, we did not get a chance to sing happy birthday to Jean and Patricia. Jean and Patricia. So, Pastor Ron, if you'll take off Jean and Patricia. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Jean and Patricia. Happy birthday to you. And many more. As you are aware, God has raised up many ministries uh, in this house to take the gospel to the nation and to the world there are over in the past 29 years this house has uh, raised up and matured uh, over 50 that I know of there are over 50 full-time ministries in the nation today that was raised in this house saved or called or taught or discipled uh, or corrected and uh, it's always a joy to be able to raise them up and send them out uh, Bailey and Christine, if you will join me, Bailey and Christine, if you'll join me, uh, I'm very, I'm very concerned about the wealth of our girls, and I feel like it's important today that we take up an offering to buy them a pair of britches that do not have holes in them, do not have holes in them, as many of you as many of you know, <laughs> yeah, as many of you know, Christine and Bailey are a part of uh, Remnant, and they're a part of a worship team that from time to time, Perry will go to another state or another country, and he'll take the team with him. And this past week, Bailey and Christine were ministering in Utah, in Utah. I am jealous. I flew, I've flown over Utah, but I've never actually been in Utah, so I am jealous. I want the girls to take just a moment and share how God used them or what they saw or what they learned this past weekend. And obviously, Bailey's going first. Apparently. Um, oh, it was such an awesome trip. We are both so just grateful to have the opportunity to go on the trip. First of all, it was just an amazing group of people. There was like 12 of us, I think, maybe a little less or a little more. But it was just a great team. We just had so much fun together and really just flowed during worship with each other. And I wasn't really, I didn't know what to expect going into it, honestly. I know that there's a, no offense to Mormons or anything. Mormons are awesome. But there's just a lot of Mormons, and they're more religious. And so I just didn't know what to expect as far as the services. But we got in there, and these people were hungry, like a hunger that I strive to have. Like, it was amazing. Like, before we even started worship, the first night, they were over here just praying and just asking the Lord that he would just come. And it was just an amazing opportunity. And like I said, the people that we were with were so awesome. We had so much fun. We goofed off together. But it was so cool because we had, like, you know, set lists for every single night. But 
literally the last couple days, we were just like, you know, we're going to do what we do, and we're just going to go in. It doesn't matter what song we sing. We just really want to worship the Lord. So that's what I experienced, and just a new hunger for me that came from seeing these people so hungry and that, you know, there really hasn't been a revival or a crazy amount of the Lord's presence and stuff in Utah. And so the fact that these people were just weeping and crying because they were so thankful that God's presence was just moving and that, you know, Perry could just come out there. So it was amazing. So, yeah. Well, I pushed Bailey to go first because Pastor Hank, then tell us about this. I'm trying to get my thoughts together. But like Bailey said, we had an awesome team from the worship team. I don't know exactly how many we had the worship team, but then we had a few friends come along that um, Perry took with us. He took Amanda, his daughter, and she shared her testimony, which was awesome. Um, but, yeah, like Bailey said, from the first night, you know, he said that, you know, these people, mainly they're, they're Mormons. That's kind of where Utah, what the religion consists of. And there were even signs when we walked in the airport, I mean, all around for books, for Mormonism, stuff like that. Um, so we, we weren't sure what to expect, but as soon as we came in, um, it was like all of these, I don't know if it was women, men, we didn't see because we were behind stage, but they're all praying. And it, a funny little story, our drummer, Samuel, um, we, we got together about 15 minutes before service and we were praying. We didn't know where Samuel was. We thought he was in the bathroom, but we, we had to go ahead and pray and the whole time we were wondering where he was, and then we found out the next day that he walked past the women that were praying, and they pulled him in, and he just started having Holy Ghost with them. That was just a funny little story that I had to share that we lost our drummer to those women that roped him in. Um, but, yeah, from the first night, it was just, it was different from what I've seen because we go, we go a lot of places, but we go to West Virginia. We've gone to Kentucky. We've gone a lot of places with Perry, but it was different there. It was a it was a greater hunger than I've ever seen. I think it was Saturday night. Um, the service was over, and we were just the worship team was kind of prophesying, singing, leading, and um, there is about 20 people down there. It wasn't like you know when people are down at altars and they're watching and they're seeing what's going on. None of them had their eyes open. None of them were looking around what was going on, but they were genuinely just wanting more of God. They were so hungry that they were going to stay till the person next to them received their healing. They were going to stay until things changed. They were going to stay until they got deeper with the Lord. And if I'm honest, I don't, I don't see that too much because Cleveland can be a very, everyone's a Christian, but like in the religious way. And it was like they didn't have any, they didn't have any religion to go by. It was just Jesus. That was what they knew. And to be hungry for him. So it it was a great time. It was a lot of fun. Um, there was a lot of healing. People really love Perry. I mean, they're crazy about him for some reason. He does great. I love him. Um, but they were crazy about him, and they loved us. They kept asking for the worship team CD and just a bunch of kind-hearted people who really loved the Lord. It was a great time to be able to minister, and um, we got to be under Braden, which, which is the worship leader at OCI, and he was just awesome, taught us a lot of awesome stuff. But, yeah, it was great. And one, I have one thing. Sunday afternoon, a service started at 1.30. I think we were there till 5. And, well, the reason was well, we were worshiping and we were praying. And um, this, this woman had gotten out of her wheelchair. And so there was this man that was in a wheelchair. And we were up there kind of leading whatever. And Matt got off the stage and she went down and started praying and had the mic in her hand and was singing over him. Um, and we were believing he was going to get healed. Well, we waited there for about 
um, a good, you know, two hours. And he, he did not receive the healing that he wanted right then. But it was, it was the difference in his heart posture of I love you all and I appreciate you all. And one day I will receive my healing and you will all be a part of it because you're here. And just, yeah, to have that heart of doesn't matter what's going on, I'm going to receive my healing. God's good. God, so just having that attitude instead of, well, God didn't heal me. You know, it's just having the right attitude and having the right heart posture. There was a lot of people in Utah who were just much different from people that I've experienced. So, yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Thank you. I'm glad I did give them time to prepare. Get your Bible ready. I want you to say this with me. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will. While I am waiting, yielded and still, yielded and still, yielded and still. I want to talk about clay today in the hands of the potter. And uh, as I prepared this and reflected on this, uh, I'm reminded of, I feel like it was either fifth or sixth grade, but we had a... Uh, an artist, a, a class of art where we made pottery. And uh, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity in school to take a piece of clay and put it on the lathe, and it, it did the inside, it did the outside, it did patterns, it did, it did whether it was a saucer or a, or a, ve a vase or a vessel or a, just a clay pot. And we would take that clay. Now, I like the clay because it tasted good. How many can remember eating clay when you were a kid? Yeah, we have a few that, I mean, it was, it was very tasty. And then we would take the newspaper and take glue and make shapes. Anybody ever do that? Shape? Didn't that glue taste? That, that, was, that was a good taste in glue. I mean, I remember most about the art classes that it tasted good. But we would take, and I remember one particular year, I took a, I took a lump of clay, and I was following the instructor, and put it on the lathe, and then sh cut the inside out, and then shaped the outside, and then I put it in an oven, and, and put oven, it was real hot, I remember how it was real hot, like 450 degrees, and then I took it out, and then I painted on it, I painted design on it, painted flowers or whatever, and then it put it back in the oven, it went in the oven twice, and then I took it home, and my parents would have thought that I had created the heavens and the earth. They were so proud of that. It didn't look all that, as a matter of fact, it looked pretty pitiful, to be honest. It was lopsided. It, it had a twist to it. And it was of no value. You couldn't use it for anything, Kinder. It was just something I did. But my parents put it up on the shelf, and they, they worshipped it and honored it and loved it. And I got to thinking about that clay. And I've asked four people to help me this morning. Uh, I've asked four people if they, if, now three know what's going on, one does not. So the one that does not, I'm going to ask her to help me first. Misty, I want you to take this clump of clay, and I want you to, next center, can you listen and do clay at the same time? Next center, 15 minutes. I want you to creatively, just to make something. Just, it doesn't have to be spiritual. Uh, it, just something that I want you to do. And then I have asked... Cheryl, 
And Michael, Cheryl, you want yellow or red? Yellow, good. And I've asked Michael to take the red. And uh, this is impromptu. They had no idea this was going to happen until I asked them. And then Al, who is a real artist, he is an artiste, Al is going to take the blue, and he's going to shape something. Whoops. <laughs> I'm not sure what Al's going to do this morning. I think he's had his medicine, and he's just chilling out. But I want to talk a little bit about clay in the hands of the potter. What is so crazy about clay in the hands of the potter, we find this truth in Genesis 2 and 7, where the Bible says there was a dew that came up from the earth and watered the garden. At that time, it had not rained. They didn't see rain until the days of Noah. Rain was something new. But there was a dew that came up and watered the garden. And the Bible says that God got down on his hands and his knees, and he took that dew, and he took that clay, and he formed and he fashioned man after his own likeness and after his own image. How amazing is that? that here we are in third, fourth grade, and we're playing with clay, and we're shaping stuff, and we're making stuff, that that's a direct pattern from the Old Testament where God actually formed man out of the dust and the dew. You get dust and dew, you mix it together, and you get clay, and God began to play with that clay, and God began to breathe into that clay, and God began to speak into that clay, and it has been determined. I could have told you this before it was determined, but it's been determined that every person upon the earth, on the face of the earth that's ever lived or will ever live, comes from two people. And how many knows who those two people are? Adam and Eve. And what is so crazy, when Jesus got ready to call his disciples, he says, follow me and I will make you. That Greek word is to form or to fashion, form or to fashion. He said, I will make you into fishers of men. And we look at the story of Jesus, how he got some fishermen, he got some carpenters, he got a tax collector, and then for three and a half years, he poured into them, he mentored into them, he nurtured them, he counseled them, he taught them, he, 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 he revealed secrets to them. And he took that process to literally take a simple, unlearned fisherman and begin to pour into him and begin to form him and fashion him and later, these disciples are accused of turning the world upside down because of his involvement in their life. And what is so neat is I believe that God is saying today, if you'll allow me, I'll form you and I'll fashion you and I'll shape you into becoming what I desire for you to be and what my purpose and plan for is in your life. How many today would rather have God's purpose and plan for their life than mama's purpose and plan for their life? How many would rather have God's Someone didn't raise their hand. We'll do that again. How many would rather have God's purpose and plan in their life than an employer's purpose and plan in your life? We want what God has for us, and we want to be what God wants us to be. And, and the Bible says in Romans 8 and 28 that he works all things for the good of them that love God. And so we know that God is at hand working in our life. And this morning, I want to show you some of the details that God is working. Ephesians 1 and 11, God said, I will shape you into the conformity of God, that God is trying to conform us into his likeness, into his image, the way he destined that in the garden. Ephesians, 1, Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ask or think, according to the power 
that worketh in us. And so there is a life-changing power working in us to take us from what we used to be to make us to what we ought to be. Aren't you glad for that? Philippians 2 and 13 said, it is God's will to work in you. So we see that God has a purpose and God has a plan and God has a will. And it's to not leave you the way he found you, but to make you better. The Bible says we'll go in one way and come out another. This morning, as you come to the house of God and you presented your worship, you presented your offering and you begin to listen to the word, it's the word that will shape and form and change and ignite you to realize that you're not going to stay where you're at. You're going someplace with God. Do I have an amen in the place? The Bible says in Hebrews 13 and 20, may he equip and work in you, pleasing to him. May he equip and work in you something that's pleasing to him. How many this morning would rather be a God pleaser than a man pleaser? How many would rather follow the purpose and plan of God than the purpose and plan of some coach or some teacher, some instructor in your life? Three of us. Awesome. Four of us. I'll get one more. I'll go on. There we have it. Okay. In Jeremiah 18, Jeremiah was not a bullfrog. He did not drink wine. He was a prophet to the nations. And when he was in his mother's womb, God called him and spoke to him. And when God brought him into, into existence, God approached Jeremiah in the first chapter. And, Jer- and God told Jeremiah, before you were in your mother's womb, I had a purpose and a plan for your life. And you know what Jeremiah said? you got to read the King James. It's A-H. Jeremiah said, I think God would like to startle some of you this morning and for you to realize that there's a purpose and plan he has for you, and it's so amazing that all you can do is say, ah, look at somebody say, ah. Now do a little matzo, do a little growling. Say it like you mean it. Ah. There you have it. We are rocking now. Notice, if you will, verse 1 of Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter saith the Lord, Behold, as clay is in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand. It doesn't get any more straightforward. It doesn't get any more blunt than that. There are seasons in our life that with God, we go through stuff that hurts us, that wounds us, that scars us, and that mars us. And I'm here to tell you this morning, no matter how beat up you are, no matter how messed up you are, God did not give up on you. God has a plan for you, and you can take all your junk, you can take all of your anxieties, you can take all your frustrations, you can take all your worries, you can take all your fears to God and give it to God, and God will place you on the wheel, and God will turn you into a better vessel than originally intended. Look at somebody say, a better vessel than originally intended. That means whatever purpose and plan you have for your life, God has a better purpose and plan. You might, it might be your desire to go to college. God may have a desire to make you a college professor. You never know what God's up to. I think so many times we sell ourselves short 
and we have a cutoff in our mind. I don't know if you have a cutoff in your mind of how much you're worth an hour or how much, what you'd like to make on your job, but there, there are many in life that have this certain amount, and when they get that certain amount, they are happy and they are, they are at peace, not realizing that God wants to double, triple, or quadruple that worth in their life. A couple of weeks ago, there was a word spoken from this pulpit concerning a, a, a job change and concerning a, a financial increase. Does anybody remember the, the prophetic word? Does anybody remember the, the amount? It was 30000 And this week, I was approached by a member of this house, and I will not bring attention to him uh, unless he wants to later share that. But he has been presented a job that he's going to make 30000 more a year plus 5% of his cost of living, that is incredible. And then I learned of another family that I'm not at liberty to discuss or, or, or say anything about, but there have been two in this house that have been approached with the, with the ability to go into the next level of work and receive a $30,000 a year raise. How many this morning would just like to make 30000 a year? Where are you at? How many this morning would like to see God add 30000 to your income? You never know what God's up to. And I like just to do a, a, a blanket word of knowledge here. I believe this time next year, every single one of you are going to be at a better place financially than you are today. I speak that prophetically. I declare that over you. I want you to grab that and embrace that. What is so crazy, 1 Peter 1 and 2 says that we are selected and chosen by God. And I got to thinking about when I was a kid, we would play football after school and we would get captains and we would line up and we would be selected. And I remember that I was usually always one of the captains. I was pretty athletic and pretty much involved in sports. And then someone else would be the captain. And then we would start choosing. Say, well, I want David. Well, I want Larry. Well, I want Edsel. I don't know that I know an Edsel. I just thought I'd throw that out there. I want, a, I want an Edsel. And I remember that there was always somebody that was such a nerd. Hello. How many nerves do I have in the house? You couldn't catch a football. You couldn't catch a Frisbee. All you can catch is a cold. Where are you at? Where's my, where's my nerdy player? And there was always someone that was the last pick. And you know what? At that time in my life, I didn't feel sorry for them. I was just glad they weren't on my team. Did you get that? I didn't feel sorry for them. Also, I'm just glad they weren't on my team. But God said in 1 Peter 1 and 2, you are selected and chosen by God. Not as the last choice, but as the first choice. Because that's the, that's the, that's the, his eye is on you, watching over you. And you are, the Bible says, the apple of his eye. How crazy is that? We belong to God. And that word potter in, in Jeremiah means to create or to make. Create or to make. And the potter gets involved in your life. The reason he's so intent in working with you is because he has paid something for you. I tried to borrow some clay yesterday. Uh, Skyler didn't have any, and Courtney didn't have any, and Pastor Rhonda's clay was not uh, pliable. It was, I think it was, it, didn't, it had needed water added to it, but it, it wasn't. So I had to break down, and I had to go, and I had to buy the Play-Doh. I had to buy it was a four-pack, which I thought was, and it was in color, and I thought that was a pretty good deal. I don't remember what I paid for it, but I purchased it with an intent to use. I had a plan for it. I had a purpose for it. It wasn't for me to do it, but it was for me to, to what we're, delegate. I have no talent whatsoever. 
I got to thinking if you gave me a lump of clay, the first thing I would do is take a bite of it and see if it's still salty like it was in third grade. And then I don't know what, I, I would just like hit it and, make, and call it a blob. That would be my creation. But I have determined this morning to pe- people in my life that are, have an artistic ability and they're going to form, they're going to shape something that started off as simply a lump, simply a piece of clay. And that's exactly what God has done. He said, I have bought you with the price for an intent to use. God paid a high price for you. God paid the blood of his son, the death of his son, the the pain of his son. God gave his son so he could redeem you and purchase you. And you're bought, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Does that excite anybody in this house? John 15 and 16, Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and share the word. We are chosen, we are bought, we're purchased, and then we are ordained. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to an ordination service. I remember uh, there was a season in my dad's life when he went from licensed minister to ordained minister. And I remember there was a banquet. I remember there was a setting of people. There was food. There was always food in the church of God. Thank God for the church of God. There was always food. But there was, and, and Becky, I don't know if, if you were, remember that or not. You'd have been about seven. <laughs> it was quite a while ago. But there was an ordination service where the head, the head, press, the head, the head, I missed something, didn't I? The head presbyter ordained dad and gave him a Bible with his name on it. I thought, how cool was that? But then when I saw all the hell he went through after being ordained, hello, I thought that Bible must be worth a whole lot for dad to go through all the stuff he goes through to be an ordained minister. But the Bible says that you have been chosen and you have been ordained by the blood of Jesus. When I think about clay, I think about if you let it dry out, it becomes insignificant and not worth anything. And there are a lot of people that have stopped tapping into the washing of the water of the word, that fountain filled with blood, that refreshing, that, 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 the, the power of the water of the word. A lot of us have stopped eating that word and drinking that word, and we become all dried up. How many can relate to uh, going, going to the beach, getting the tan, and then the next day the, the tan is flaking off? It was like it was dead skin. Anybody? And that's what it means to be all dried out. But God does not want you dried out. God wants to take your clay and then he wants to begin to tear it into pieces to remove all the little pebbles and all the little stones because if he puts you on the wheel the way you are, it won't produce anything significant. In other words, God wants you healed and restored before he can use you for his glory and use you for his purpose. So that that being torn apart and all those little pebbles and all those little stones being removed. And then, Kendra, you would add water, not too much water. If you added too much water, you had soup. And God can't use a soupy Christian. God wants, hello, that was, I thought three of you might get that. God does not want a soupy Christian, but he will take just the right amount of water. There are people that can quote the word backwards and forwards, Gene, but they never do it. A lot of people walk around with the Bible big enough to choke a mule. This is a King James and Living Bible, and this is like 
This is a heavy Bible. This is not a Bible I would want to walk very far with. But you know what? I think a lot of times we think that we can take this Bible and hit the devil over the head with it. But if you'll learn what's in it, you can hit the devil right between the eyes with the power of the spoken word. And that's why he adds that water to your clay. That's why we need a daily diet of the word. That's why we daily need to reflect or remember. I'm not saying you've got to read it every single day, but you need to reflect on it every single day. Um, I'm having some challenges with the camera. We've, we've tried, Gene's tried. We've, we've, we went through all the things that we thought were wrong with it, and uh, we started adding some fuel injector cleaner, and uh, I, never, I never know if it's going to start. I never, I never know. Well, yesterday when I went to the um, um, Dollar Tree to get, to get the Play-Doh, I came back out, and the car wouldn't start. And I can't tell you how frustrating that was. I rolled down. It was hot. It was miserable. So I went back into the Dollar Tree and bought a water and sat there for about five or ten minutes, drank the water, went back out, and I said, Lord, please let this car start. And I turned the key, and the car started. And Al, I can't tell you how happy I was because if I, the car had not started, Pastor Rhonda would have had to left what she was doing, and she had a busy day yesterday, and come and give me a jump. And I could see myself... Jack, I see myself going into the, yesterday in the car, started the air is on, the radio is on, and I see myself going into the presence of God and giving Jesus a high five. Now, how crazy is that? But David said, give ear to my word, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, O Lord, for unto thee will I pray. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and we'll look up. And prophetically, I'm here to tell you, you need to see your prayers answered, and you need to see yourself going into the presence of God and giving God a high five because what you couldn't solve, what you couldn't fix, what you couldn't make right, God in just a moment touched it, spoke to it, breathed it, ministered to it, and everything was okay. Look at somebody and say, I got a feeling everything is going to be okay. What is so crazy about the clay is before you, before you etched the clay or before you cut the clay, before you shaped it into a vessel or a saucer or, or, a, or a vase or, or a vase, they would take a lathe, Christine, and the, on the inside, they would literally gut it out. They would hollow out the inside of that, of that, of that, that pottery. And that tells me that the work of God in your life is from inside out. There was a generation that thought that if you had hair down to your ankles, and sleeves down to your knuckles, somebody help me, and, and your, your face had absolutely no pain on it whatsoever, and you had to have a brooch. You wasn't sanctified if you didn't have a brooch. But there was several, how many, is that funny, Becky? Am I not telling the truth this morning? There was a brooch that, that, that the hair was in a bun so tight they had stretch marks on the side of their face. And that was, that was religious. That is what a Christian looks like. I'm here to tell you this morning, God does not work from the outside in. God works from the inside out. And when God does the work on the inside of you, there's a change. Don't look for me to be in the place I used to be. There's been a change in me. I found a better way. And since I found the church and found a place to pray, there's been a change in me. I found a better way. I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. 
Then I cried to her, Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought me the victory. Aren't you glad today you're not living in defeat, doom, gloom? You are living in the promises, the favor, and the blessing of Almighty God and all the provisions of heaven. And everything he has is working for your good to change who you are, to make you into what he wants you to be. I'm preaching good now. Hebrews 12 and 9 says that we have earthly fathers. And I don't know if you as a parent can relate to saying to someone about raising your child, well, we did the best we could. Well, some of you didn't do very well. Hello. We did the best that we could. I, I hear that quite a bit. We, we raised them the best that we knew how. And that's why we have earthly fathers. And that's why there's discipline and correction and, and promotion. That's why there's a dad in our life to help us become that son or daughter that we are supposed to be. And I don't believe age has anything to do with when you stop being a dad. I think you're a dad your whole life. I don't want to embarrass Christine, but someone gave her a promise ring. And so I asked her, and I want to talk to the guy, what, what's he promising? That's what dads do. That's the question that dads ask. Christine doesn't come home by midnight. When, when she pulls in, I'm there. Where you been? What are you doing? What's going on? Why did you come in after midnight? Now, since she turned 18, her deadline is 12.15. I gave her a little, little, <laughs> little, a little space there to show me what she's going to do with it. Gave her a little rope to release her. But, but we all, hopefully, all of us, and all of us didn't have dads. All of us didn't have that, that, that manly man in our life to teach the boy how to be a boy and teach the girl how to be a girl. The femininity of the daughter comes from the dad. That's a proven fact. And some of us didn't have that dad in our life. We didn't have that voice in our life. But there was a mentor. There was a teacher at school. There was a coach. There was someone at church. There was someone that said, hey, I'll be that example for you. I'll be that light. I'll help you to the best I can. Hebrews 12 and 9 says, if we have earthly fathers, how much more should we submit to our heavenly father and live. And the Bible says live. Live and not die. He wants to make you something. I will form you. I will shape you. I'll fashion you to be a fisher of men. Someone help me in this house. First Thessalonians says that sanctify us by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctification is a crazy word. The best way to describe sanctification is to take a knife to use for surgery. And before that knife cuts that unprotected skin, that, that knife is submerged in alcohol, rubbing alcohol. And that, that knife is sanctified. And there are different types of sanctification where you can burn, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But I, when I grew up in the church, and Ron, I know Ron can relate to this, but we used to say, thank God. Remember testimony service? Thank God I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Gene, do you remember that? Thank God I'm saved sanctified and filled. I never knew what the word sanctify meant, but they always said it with a different emphasis of saved. Help me. I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I got to think about that sanctification and what is God doing? God is removing the junk in our lives so he can use us to perform surgery on someone else. Man, I'm preaching good this morning, and I'm almost out of notes. As I shared in Genesis 7 and 2, God shapes and forms us as we're to be formed. Romans 8 and 29, the Bible says, be conformed 
to the purpose, the plan of God and the image of his son. What does that mean? When we are conformed, we begin to find out what Jesus looked like, find out what Jesus said, find out what Jesus did, and then begin to mimic him to the best of our ability. I've heard that statement that says, well, you're Jesus with, with skin on. I appreciate that, understand that, but I'm not the son of God, and I didn't, I didn't live a spotless life, and, and there's obviously a difference between Jesus and I. But Jesus, when he looks at me, he doesn't see any difference. He says, I want to adopt you into the family. I want God to be your father. I want you to be my brother and sister. And everything that I have, I want to share with you. That's giving God a high five right there. Everything I have, I want to share with you. First Corinthians 3 says that we are transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. He says, I will make you, I will shape you. And you know what? There's got to be some kind of submission to, to allow yourself to be placed on a wheel. There's a band, it's probably Chicago, that says, will it go round in circles? Remember that? Or does, or does Chicago do, what goes up must come down. Spinning wheel got to go round. How many remember that? You actually remember that. That really dates our 70s. That's, that's when music was music, church. That's when you had to play it backwards. That's when Jeremiah drank wine and was a bullfrog. Those were the good old days. But God says, I will take you and I will place you on a wheel. And we submit to that wheel. And sometimes it feels like, Jerry, that we are going in circles. Can anybody relate? It's just like we're going through one cycle. But heaven has a cycle. Earth has a cycle. 24-hour day has a cycle. We are going in circles because every time that we go around the wheel, God takes that, that tool, that chisel, and cuts off a little dross, cuts off a little excess. Now, I'm not talking about weight. It would be nice if we could get on a wheel and God could just shave 15 pounds off our, our, our if I have a friend in the house, why stop at 15? Let's go with 20. Hello. But that's not the kind of shaping he wants to do. He wants to start on the inside out. He wants to shape you. And what he's looking at is a reflection of his son. That's his pattern. That's, that's his motto. That's, that's what he's using to shape you. And he looks at Jesus, and he begins to make you so that you look like Jesus. How crazy, how scary, and how wonderful that is that we are the Lord's replacement here on this earth. Do I have a friend in the house? Something about this spinning wheel is you can't hurry the process. Jerry, if you hurry the process, you'll gouge the, the piece of clay. You'll wound the piece of clay. You'll mar the piece of clay. And something I've learned in life, I'll be 65 October 28th. That's a very important date in your life. Put it on your refrigerator. It should be right there with the queen for a day. Because I promise you, I'm only going to turn 65 once. Hello. But, I, but, I've, but I've learned in my 65 years, my 38 years of full-time ministry, you can't rush God. You can't rush God. There's a reason why we wait. When he, when he called them and, and they saw him die and he resurrected and he told them to go to Jerusalem, remember what he told them to do? He didn't say go preach. He didn't say go teach. He said go to Jerusalem and wait because I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. You're going to be witnessing to me in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. And so you cannot rush the process of God. You can't hurry the process of God. 
I don't know if you've ever made cookies. Let me rephrase that. I don't know if you ever made cookies and you got in a hurry for the cookies and you pulled the tray out of the oven and the cookies weren't done. How many can relate? And if you'd have left it in there just a little longer, or maybe it was a pie, or maybe it was a roast, or maybe Pastor Rhonda is an excellent cook. We don't eat raw food. It's always cooked. But I've eaten with other people that they took it out of the oven too soon. Look at somebody who say, you may have taken it out of the oven too soon. Acts 5 and 42 says, every day they went teaching. Every day they went preaching. Every day is a process. Every day things are happening in your life. Every day you're getting stronger. Every day you're getting better. Look at somebody and say, I'm better than I was yesterday, and I'll be even better tomorrow. It's God's hand that puts the pressure on that wheel. It's God's hand that, put, that creates that tension, that scrapes off that excess. Maybe your attitude, maybe, maybe bitterness, maybe fear, maybe worry, maybe trepidation, maybe a financial challenge, maybe an emotional need in your life. But God has the ability to cut that off. And everything that God uses for his glory goes under pressure. Gold. You put gold in a pot and you begin to turn the heat up and it melts and you stir it. And everything that's not gold floats to the top. And sometimes God just gets us in a fire and turns the heat up. It doesn't take very long in the fire for you to learn how solid your relationship. Let me rephrase that. How solid your religion is. A lot of people lose their religion when they feel the heat turned up. But that's God's way of getting all the old junk out of your life for God to paint a new picture for God to sing a new song, for God to write a new chapter. He needs some space that's uncontaminated, and he wants to take that in your life that's contaminated. He wants to remove it. He wants it to take far from you as far as the east is from the west and never allow it to appear in your life again. That's how good he is, and that's what happens to the gold. And you may feel like you're just going through life where everybody just throws up on you. Anybody ever feel that way? I wouldn't lift my hand. This is probably not a good time because you... We, you might smell like vomit. You never know what's going on in the house. But there's, but there's people in life that feel like, man, every, everything is just somebody throwing up on me. I try to help this one. This one betrays me. This one does this. This one does that. And I, I want to remind you of a little grain of sand that through the tide of the ocean found its way in the belly of an oyster. And that little grain of sand embedded itself in the belly of that oyster. And that oyster was so irritated by that grain of sand, it kept trying to regurgitate that grain of sand out of, its, out of its belly. But every time it threw up on the grain of sand, it created a covering. It created a layer. God in layers, like God strips an onion, God in layers is putting you back together. And every bad thing in your life, every hurt in your life, every pain in your life, you overcame that. You have the scar to produce it. Dead things don't produce scars. Dead things produce deterioration. You're not deteriorated. You're scarred. You got the scar to show it. You said, this is what I went through, and the Lord brought me out. This is what happened to me, and the Lord brought me out. And there will come a day when you'll stand before God, and Jesus will lift his hands and say, this is what the world put me through, the scars in my hands. But God brought me out. Aren't you glad this morning that you have been brought out? I think about oil. We use it every single day. And oil is just fossilized dinosaur bones. They went under a lot of pressure and liquefied. And then I think of one of my favorite illustrations, and I don't know, Michael, if you remember as a child, and, and I did it a lot, but I would find a cocoon, 
and it was moving. How many has ever seen a moving cocoon? Let me rephrase that. How many has not ever seen a moving cocoon? It's crazy. It looks like a little, not a mealworm, not a tapeworm, but a, how many, I remember what a tomato worm looks like, a tomato worm. Remember a tomato worm? Okay, that cocoon, just a little old tiny, it's about an inch long, but lo and behold, it's, it's moving. It's, it's, it, the, the ends are moving. The middle is contracting. And you look at that and go, man, that is incredible. But then if you happen to be there the day that cocoon explodes, it's no longer an ugly tomato worm. It turns into a beautiful butterfly. Someone said, well, I want to be a butterfly. Listen, the life expectancy of a butterfly is 28 minutes. The sparrow is the number one enemy of the butterfly. So don't wish upon yourself to be the butterfly. Wish upon yourself to be the cocoon because birds don't eat cocoons. <laughs> Somebody's with me. That fire that God puts in our life, sometimes it's the fire of adversity. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And so realize every test, every trial, everything you go through is simply to make you better. Ephesians 1.11 says God works everything to conform to his will. Where was God when I went through the abortion? Where was God when I lost a child? Where was, God, where was God when I went through divorce? Where was God when I lost my husband? Where was God here? Where was God there? God was always there watching over you, taking care of you, knowing there was going to be some stuff you would go through, but he would walk you through it and you would be okay. God said you will survive. You will be okay. In Jeremiah 8, 11, notice the pot was marred in the hands of the potter. There are times even in our Christian walk that we're trying to do the best we can. We're trying to follow the word of God. We're trying to be healthy, be wholesome, think good thoughts, do good things. But still, it seems like we go through bad stuff. We go through tragedy. What's that all about? Well, that's exactly what Jesus went through. That's exactly what transpired against him. He went through bad stuff. Popularity, all that junk against him, all the pain, the pain of Calvary, the pain of the death. He went through all of that so we could have something better. Look at somebody and say better. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who will stay on the wheel. Let me hurry and conclude this morning. And I, I don't want to put Chris and Susan on the spot, so I won't. But Michael, Michelangelo, Michael, Michelangelo was an artist. He was literally an artist, the Sistine Chapel and the David and the statue of Jesus and Mary. I mean, he was incredible. But Michael said, uh, Susan, he didn't look at the rock and see the image. He, look, he, look, I mean, he didn't look at the rock and see what he needed to do the rock to make the He saw the image before he saw the rock. That makes sense? And they start chiseling off the excess. And Michelangelo has, has, has masterpieces all over the world. Michelangelo also has some unfinished work. The statue of Matthew, he never, he never completed. He never finished. He, just, he, he started it. But even today, that unfinished piece of work is still a piece of art that people go and look at. But let me tell you something. God will finish what he has started. He will finish, Philippians 8 and 6 says, he will finish the work that he began in you. And then I'm going to skip that page of notes. Those were really good notes right there, but I need to get to the conclusion. There are vessels of honor and dishonor. There are vessels of wood, clay, gold, and silver. And that, that, that emphasizes that in the areas that we work, those are the areas that we become prepared to do things for God. And sometimes it's just making yourself available. Does that make sense? 
I mean, there have been many times in my life, and Al is a perfect example. When Al said, I want to teach you how to carve a rock, I had absolutely no clue how to carve a rock. I, I didn't know, you know what I'm saying? But when I went and you watch the master and you watch the precision and you watch what he does and then you begin to imitate or copycat or duplicate what he does, then you will learn a trade. And that's why the Lord has put so many people in our life. They are mentors. They're accountability. They're there for us to grow and learn and to be what God wants us to be. You choose to be a vessel of gold. You choose to be a vessel of silver. You choose to be a vessel of wood. You choose to be a vessel of clay. But all those vessels God will use in his kingdom for his glory. Now we're going to see what our artists have done in the last 20 minutes. Let's go girls first. Cheryl, if you'll bring your... Let's see what Cheryl... Let's see what she did in 20 minutes. That is amazing. Can you zoom in, camera? Is that not... That's what I call too much spare time. <laughs> okay, uh, Misty, don't don't be embarrassed because oh, that's awesome. Show show the camera. Oh, is that awesome, Michael? Here comes Michael. Oh, a vessel for the Lord's, a, a vessel. That is very good. Al? Is that incredible? A chain. Zoom in on this chain. Is that incredible? Thank you, Al. Let me tell you something. Any change in your life this morning, just like I'm going to break this clay? <laughs> Pastor Ron, I want you to remain in bondage for the rest of the week. And we'll come back next Sunday, and we will break the chain. Hey, we love you with the love of the Lord, and we love what God is doing in your life. It's 10 minutes, 10 minutes after 12. I've not preached chapter 12 in over a year but we got to be the family today, enjoy the family, enjoy breaking bread together. I want to give you